But if we look around our nation, one can say we are coming up to the threshold of the wrath of God. We are coming to the threshold of the wrath of God. And I think it's time as individuals, as well as a nation, that we need to turn our hearts back to God. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for Kayla and Justin and Zeke. Lord, minister to them today in Sunday school. Anoint Kayla to teach, Lord, the words the Lord you would want her to teach and anoint the boys to understand and to hear, Lord, what you would have for them. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. They like their new Sunday school teacher. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 9. We'll be looking at the wrath and mercy of God. The wrath and mercy of God. God has wrath, God has mercy. If he didn't have one or the other, he wouldn't be God, right? Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 19, following down to 29, through 29, stopping at verse 30. You will then say to me, why does he yet find fault? For who can resist his will? Rather, O man, who are you to answer back to God? Shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, why, has you, why have you made me like this? Does the potter not have power over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endure, endured with much patience, the vessels of wrath prepared for, for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has previously prepared for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And in the place where, I, where it was said to them, You are not my people, they and there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the, of the children of Israel be like the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a quick work upon the earth. And as Isaiah previously said, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and been made like Gomorrah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessing. I pray that you'd minister to us. 
Lord, today, open our hearts to hear what the Lord has for us today. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord has the ability to create things for his pleasure, his mercy, and also for his wrath to show his power. God shows his power in many different ways. But as we see in Romans, God shows his power not only in the mercy and the goodness, but also in the wrath. We see that in the Old Testament in many different places. We see that in the flood account. He created everyone on the earth. Some of them were appointed to wrath because they didn't believe Noah. Noah and his family for righteousness. All to bring about this line of the line of David for a Messiah. Does it pain God to have to do that? Does it pain God to have to know that some will perish and some will not in, in righteousness? Does it pain God? Absolutely it pains God. Absolutely it pains God. But God knows. God understands that <clears throat> just as we have children, our children are not going to always do what we ask them to do. They're not always going to do what we tell them to do. They're not always going to follow our example. Which then begs the question, what kind of example are we setting? Right? God's got, God set the ultimate example, the greatest example, and yet some, didn't, some don't follow. Some do, some don't. We as parents and grandparents, what kind of example do we set? Do we set good examples for our grandchildren and children to follow, or do we set, set examples that is lacking? I'll submit to you that God is not lacking because He is God, He is holy, but sometimes we lack. Sometimes we lack. And God does not feel as though when some have to perish that it's just okay with God. It pains God that some have to perish. It pains God that some have to be apart from Him. It pains Him. He loves us. He loves His creation. He loves His children. Just like as it would, as, just like as it would pain any one of us if our children decided to turn their back on us and walk away and never speak to us again. It pains God the same way. He says here, Who will then say to me, Why does he yet find fault? For who can resist his will? Rather, O oh man, who are you to answer back to God? Shall the thing... Shall the thing that shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Why do we, when, and this is something that, that we have no really, no right to 
ask God. I mean, we do ask God. We question God, and I think God welcomes those questions, but I think it's our attitude, and I think this is what Paul is getting to. When we question God, why are things this way? What is our attitude like? The, the inclination in the scripture is an attitude of arrogance. Why, why did you do this, God? I could have done it better, that kind of thing. We can be kind of self-righteous at times, can't we? As people. I know I've been guilty of that. I think we can all say that at some point in our life we've been guilty of having a bad attitude, right? Some of us say, yeah, this morning I had a bad attitude. But we can all be guilty of having a bad attitude. And when that bad attitude... Uh, bleeds over to our relationship with God, we best be careful. We best be careful. Because just as like my children, when they have a bad attitude with me, get punished, God will also punish us. And so we must understand that, yes, it's okay to have a bad attitude. It's okay to have those kinds of things. A question, why did you form me this way? Why did you make me this way? The attitude behind that. It's okay to have that attitude if we bring it to God and ask for forgiveness for it. But if we live our life in that kind of attitude where we are self-righteous, we are better than everyone else, even better than God, God will punish us eventually. Does the potter not have power over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor and the other for dishonor? God is in ultimate power. God has power over each and every one of us, and God does allow us from time to time to have an animosity toward him with little bit of discipline here and there, and then once in a while, then, then pretty soon God's going to say, okay, enough's enough. We can look at our country and see that. This country has been spitting in the face of God for years, and yet we're still here. Pretty soon, God is going to say enough is enough. Just as he does with individuals. Pretty soon, God's going to say, enough is enough. I'm going to deal with you. Just like in a real world situation, you have little, little, I got two little kids, believe me, and they know how far they can go before dad and mom's had enough. And they go up to that threshold, and then they almost get the multiple punishment, the, the, the utmost punishment. Sometimes they go back, sometimes they have to be punished. God is in the same way with us as individuals and as a nation. As a nation, we spit in the face of God. As individuals, we better make sure we're not fitting in the, spitting in the face of God. One lump for honor and one lump for dishonor. Now, God is not going to create you, as it says, as a lump for honor. He's not going to make you honor him, and he's not going to make you dishonor him, but he is going to give you the choice. Just as he gives 
each and every one of us a choice of how we're going to live our life. If we choose to honor God, then continue to honor God. But if we choose to dishonor God, eventually God will have his sovereignty, his wrath upon us. Eventually, we will feel his wrath. Have we gotten to the threshold? Have I as an individual gotten to the threshold? I hope I've never done that. I don't know. I hope I've never been up to the threshold of wrath of God. I don't know. Me individually, you individually, I don't know. But if we look around our nation, one can say we are coming up to the threshold of the wrath of God. We are coming to the threshold of the wrath of God. And I think it's time as individuals, as well as a nation, that we need to turn our hearts back to God in a real way. Now, I'm not talking about, the well, I'll go to church every Sunday and crack open my Bible on Sunday and I'll pray a little bit throughout the week. Turn our heart back to God. Turn our life around and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Not tradition, not religion, not the United Brethren in Christ, not the Assemblies of God, not the Catholic Church, not the Methodist Church. Jesus Christ. Follow Jesus Christ. Only then will things begin to turn around. Only then. Verse 22, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power, to make his power known, endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he has pre previously prepared for glory? even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, and we'll go on to that. But think about that for a moment. How much patience does God have to have? How much patience should God have to exercise? You know, with my kids, I, I me and Amy have different patience levels, different thresholds of patience. But in the same way, how much as parents are we to, how much of that patience should we exercise before we say, all right, enough's enough. Enough's enough. You're, you, this is going to happen now. So how much should God... You know, we, we always preach things and, and, and say things like, well, God is, God is uh, good and God is merciful and God is faithful, and, and he is. I'm not saying he's not, but he is. He is good, he's faithful, he's, he, he's long-suffering. And I think that long-suffering is probably getting kind of long for God. How much exercise does he have to, or patience does he have to exercise? before we as a nation or we as individuals feel that wrath of God a little bit to turn ourselves back to him. How much? He's given us everything. He's given us everything. He gave his only son 
so that we could have life and that more abundantly. He's given everything. He's given it all. And yet, sometimes as individuals and definitely as a nation, we turn back and spit in the face of God. And when we do that, he, ex he, he exercises patience for now. How in the world could he do that? I couldn't do it. But God can. Some might say, well, there's coming a day when God will show his wrath. And there is coming a day. We read about it in the back of the book. Where God says enough, pulls out the faithful ones and takes them with him, and wrath is given around the, across the whole world. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. Whether we want to believe it or not, whenever, whenever we want to think, well, you know, God is merciful, God is faithful, God is good. Yes, he is good. Yes, he is faithful. Yes, he is merciful. Yes, but he's also sovereign. He's also just. And his wrath will come, whether we want to believe it or not. So that behooves us, as the vessels made out of clay, to not have the attitude of, well, you know what? God, why did you make me this way? Why did you make me this way? God didn't make me this way. God made me a person. My choices made me this way. So many people in today's agendas of, the, of today, well, I, I can't help this. God made me this way. This is the way I was made. I didn't have a choice. God made me this way. No. God made you in his image. Your choices made you that way. See, we have to understand that. We have to think about that. And we, in, in, in of ourselves, have to understand that we as individuals, if we are not living for God, we are in the same danger as the rest of this nation. We're walking on a, on a rope heading for a threshold of wrath of God if we don't turn our hearts back to God as individuals as well as a nation. See, and, and there's a, there is a, and Paul deals with this in the next few verses, that it's just not only for the Jews, but also the Gentiles. So that speaks of a pride issue. Doesn't that speak to a pride issue? God came to save us. God came to 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 make us part of his. We are the chosen people. He's talking about the Jewish people. We're the chosen people. All of you else are just out here. No, Paul says it's for everyone, for the Jews and the Gentiles. So that deals with the pride issue. We all deal with pride, right? You ever been in a church, I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but you ever been in a church where you go in there and if you're not originally part of the group, you don't, feel, you don't feel like you fit in? Like everybody doesn't talk to you because you're over here and you're not part of the original group? You ever feel like that? That's a pride issue. That's a righteous pride issue. And I don't like that. I don't like that. 
I think it's important that we share the love of Christ with everyone who walks through the, both sets of those double doors down there. And I think we've done a pretty darn good job of it in this church. I think we have. I think we've showed the love of Christ to everyone who's ever walked in the foot of this door, in the foot of this church. I think we've done a great job. And I don't think it's just been in the last three years. I think it's been for all the pastors all through this, the duration of this church. How do I know that? Because when I came in here my first Sunday to fill in, I was received with open arms and with love. So I know that was the way that this church was. And I think it's important that we cultivate that. Righteous pride, righteous things. We're, we're, we're part of God's people. We're the chosen people. He's saying the Jewish people are saying that. No, it's not just for you. It's for everyone. And we as, an, and we as Christians or churches, when we have visitors in our churches and we treat them as though, well, you know, this is our church and you're over here and you're over there and we're, we're not going to talk to you because you're new. That's wrong. That's righteous pride. And God does not want that to be part of our repertoire in any church. Hosea says, I will call those who were not my people, my people. In other words, the Gentiles... The Jewish people said, those are not God's people. We are. God says, nope, I will call those who are not my people, my people. And who he and her who was not beloved, beloved. The unclean. Do you remember, do you remember the, uh, the story when in the New Testament, or was, I think it was in the book of Acts, when Peter went up on the roof and saw the sheet come down and God said, don't call, clean what is, don't call unclean what I've called clean, what I've made clean. Speaks to this. God came for all of us. And he goes on, he says, and in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. I pray that, I pray that that changes in the, in the, realm of 21st century churches where people come in to visit churches and they're not made to feel welcome. You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Sons of the living God. Pride. That's what motivates all of this. Pride. A lot of our, a lot of our life, a lot of the situations in our life that causes us to have things go wrong in our life is pride. Our relationships, if we have bad relationships or strained relationships, doesn't that boil down to the pride of someone? I can remember years ago, before my father died and before he was a Christian, before I was even engaged, I refused to talk to my father because my father and I had an estranged relationship. Looking back on that, that was boiled down to pride. That was pride. If you boil down the strain, strain, strained relationships, usually that's a pride issue. Pride is a big thing. In the church and outside the church. And pride is a sin that if not put in check, 
many people who call themselves believers will find themselves without because of pride. Because of pride. Isaiah cries in verse 27, also cries out concerning Israel, though, though the number of the children of Israel be like the sand of the sea, a remnant will be saved. A remnant. How many people in here used to make clothes or quilts? How big's a remnant of cloth? It can be in different sizes, but really in context of the whole bolt, what size is a remnant? Small piece. So all the sands of the sea, a remnant, a small piece, will be saved. You know why? Pride. What's it say in the New Testament? Narrow is the gate, and few will find it. What does that speak of? That speaks of there are thousands of people that claim to be Christian in this nation. How many of them are actually heading toward the narrow gate? Few will find it. And what keeps them from the narrow gate? What keeps them as a part of, not part of the remnant? Their own agendas, pride, and things the like. And so we must guard ourselves against these kinds of things. We are no better we are no worse. We are children of God. That's it. There is no place in God's book where pride is okay. There is no place in God's book where rudeness is okay, where sin is okay. There's no place in God's book. Sin can take many forms. The question I ask myself when I look at this text, do I live my life, me, individually, me, do I live my life as one of the remnant or one of the ones going toward the narrow gate? Do I live my life, me, Josh, just whittle down Josh? Do I live my life like that? I ask myself things like this a lot. I do, because I feel it's important to keep myself as an individual in check for God. I think it's important. I think it's important to, to know where I stand with God every single day. And I think it's important for us, it's a healthy thing to do for the Christian to do the same thing. Keep that pride in check. Keep that, that sin in check. We're all going to have sin we're all going to deal with sin. We live in a sin-fallen world. We deal with a human body and emotions that can take, uh, take us by, sweep us off our feet. But what do we do with it? Do we go before God and we say, God, I've been, I've been prideful today. I've been sinful today. I've done wrong. Please forgive me and help me to do better tomorrow. Do we do that? That's how we get to be the ones that are going toward the narrow gate and the ones who will be in the remnant. Putting ourselves before God on a daily basis. It says, for he will finish the work 
and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a quick work upon the earth. He'll finish it. He'll do it for his righteousness. The Bible says a no unclean thing goes over there. He's looking for righteousness. He's not looking for sinful. It's going to be quick. And Isaiah previously said, unless the Lord of hosts had left us as left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and been made like Gomorrah. God desires for us to grow. But we have to desire to grow too. We are individuals, we are adults, we are human beings, and it is up to us. We know that we have the knowledge of God. We have the knowledge that God wants us to grow. We have that knowledge, right? We should have all that knowledge, at least the knowledge that God wants me to be better tomorrow than I am today, right? So how do you get there? You study, you pray, you grow. We know God wants us to grow. That's God's desire for you and I, to grow in Him. And also, it is God's desire that we be more like Him and have the mind of Christ. How are we going to get there? We know how we're going to get there. I say that every week. Get in your Bible. Get, come to church. Pray more. We know these things. But when the rubber meets the road, the question is, do we actually do that? Do we make the conscious choice? Do we love the Lord enough to do that? That's the, that's the question. We have the tools. Do we put the tools and the things into practice? See, a lot of this, we can, we can talk and we can discuss, we can do this, but what comes down to the, is the application part. The application part. You know, I used to do woodworking when I was a kid. Well, 14, 15, and then on. And I would take things apart. And I would prepare the wood. And that's important. But you can't use anything that you build unless you apply the glue, put it together, apply the, you know, toenail it in or screw it in, whatever. You can't use anything that you build unless you apply the things to put it together. You cannot build a life in Christ unless you apply the tools you were given to make it work. We can't make Sunday morning, and I've said this multiple times, and I'll probably say it to the day I drop from, the, from behind this pulpit, but you cannot allow Sunday morning to be just your weekly inoculation of how you're going to live your life for the next week. You've got to do that every day. You've got to be with God every day. You've got to spend time with God. You've got to read his word. And where possible, spend time with his people. But it's got to be a weekly thing, an everyday thing, where Sunday morning is, is a refreshing day because, by golly, what, we, what I read or what we shared this morning and what so-and-so said to me confirmed everything God's been saying through the week. That's what it is. That's how we become a part of the remnant or part of the ones going toward the narrow gate. 
See, it's it's too late. It's too late in this in in the in the in the in the game here to be playing church, playing tradition. It's too late. We've come too far. We're coming to the place where God's wrath is right at the door. And I know people have been saying that for years, and I, I know, I know, people have been saying that for years, and I understand that. But we never know. We never know when that door is going to swing open and the wrath of God is going to take place. We don't know that. But we have to be ready. We have to be prepared. We have to get in the Word of God. We have to know His Word. We have to know His will. We have to understand what He has for us. And we're only going to do that if we spend time with God. He goes on, or he says, if he left us a seed, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They're gone. If God didn't want us to grow and didn't start to grow us, give us that measure of faith to grow, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. Right? We wouldn't be here at all. We would be gone. Does that make sense? I hope it does. God wants you to be better tomorrow than you are today. God wants you, me and you to grow. Would it be, would, would to God we'd grow like the weeds that grow in the summer, huh? The weeds grow up so fast in the summer. Wouldn't it be great if we desired to grow like that for God? Wouldn't that be wonderful to grow like that for God? But the, the, the whole thing is boils down to choices and application. Do we choose? Do we apply the things of God to grow in Him? Let's go before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you today for your blessing. Thank you for your words. Lord, thank you for the ability to know that, Lord, you do love us. You do desire us to be more than we are. And you do give us warnings in Scripture for our betterment and our knowledge to be, be better for you. Father, help us to apply the words. Help us to apply the things in which you want us to change. And Lord, we thank you for that. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as the song says, it comes down to trust. Do we trust God enough with our daily life to apply those things, to know that He is for our good? Romans 8.28 works all things out for the good for those who love Him. Do we trust that? That's what it amounts to. So I want to encourage you to trust God more today, this week. Seek God in a greater way, more than you have before. Trust him with your life. Trust him with the outcomes of tests this week and things this week. Trust him with those things and allow him to show himself merciful. Amen.
May God bless you and keep you this week. <laughs>